Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis again. Genesis, we are looking on Sunday nights as we go through our biblical foundations and really focusing on some of the things taught in Genesis 1 through 11. Several weeks ago when we started this, we looked at our foundation. What is a foundation and why does it matter? And as a believer in Jesus Christ and as a church, as a pastor, as an individual person who's trying to follow God, I would say my foundation is, and I believe your foundation should also be the Word of God. There's no other foundation that uh, is worthy to be built upon because all other foundations will crumble away. But the Bible has told us, Jesus has told us, uh, that His Word would abide forever, that it would last forever, that it would never pass away, not even a jot or a tittle would pass away, but that the Word of God is the foundation on which we build. And I would tell you there's only two options when it comes to foundations. We can either build upon the Word of God or we can build upon man's Word. There's really no other options. Um, so you either take God's Word as such, that it is actually God's Word, or you believe man's Word. Now, in many cases, people have tried various versions of that. For example, they may try to take man's word and then put God's word on top of man's word. But ultimately, if it's built upon man's opinions or man's ideas, we, can always, we always end up in trouble because man's words will pass away. Man's opinions will pass away, but God's word never passes away. Last week, we looked at origins, where we come from. And why does it matter? Where do we come from? Well, we come from God. We were created by God and given a purpose by God in which uh, to live and that we should live. At the end of creation, we see in Genesis 1 and verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Last week we looked at the idea that God created everything in a literal six days of creation, 24-hour days, uh, that He made everything that exists that He created all in those six days. He made man and woman on the sixth day. He created man first, and then as man was alone and saw he needed somebody, he noticed all the animals had partners and mates, and he said, I need... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lonely as well, and God said it wasn't good for man to be alone. He made him woman, for she came out of man. So when God finished creating, everything was good. So if everything was good, then how did everything get messed up? What caused all of the problems with creation? And that brings us to what we want to talk about tonight, corruption. What caused all the problems with creation? Why are we in the mess that we're in today? Well, even at the end of chapter 2, we still see everything's good. Notice verse number 25, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So still, there's no shame, there's no sin, there's no problems, there's no corruption. And then chapter 3. Now hopefully you had some time this week to read through chapter 3 a few times. I will not be reading the whole chapter straight through from start to finish, but I do want to begin by looking at the first six verses of Genesis chapter 3. It says this, Now the serpent was more subtle 
than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. In the first six verses of the third chapter of the Bible, immediately we see sin taking place. This is the corruption that is happening here. Notice how this sin took place. We see there in verse 1 that Satan questions God's word to Eve. He begins with a question. Yea, hath God said? Now, let's think about this for a minute. Is it wrong to ask a question of our Heavenly Father, to ask a question of God? No, it's not. It's not wrong to ask a question of God. In fact, throughout Scripture, we can see many examples of people who had questions for God. It's one thing to ask a question of God. It's very different to question God. Do you understand what I'm saying? To question who He is or what He has said with doubt of whether or not what He said is really true or whether... It really is the way he says that it is. And this is what the serpent's doing here. He's questioning God. Why is this a problem? Because God's word is always truth. It goes back to our foundation. If God's word is the truth, if it is the foundation on which we're built upon, then questioning whether or not it is true will not help us to understand what God wants to do with our lives. Now, please don't misunderstand. If you go through and begin our Bible study that many have done in discipling one another, it begins with the Word of God. How do we know it's true? Because that's the foundation. But see, Eve here, she is someone who already has a relationship with God. She knows God. She knows what God has said. And Satan, rather than agreeing with what God has said, he's trying to bring a question into her mind as to whether or not it is true. We notice secondly in verse 2, in verse 3, that when Eve gives the answer to the serpent, she does not quote God correctly. This is very important. Notice as the serpent asks, Yea, if God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. You say, well, how do we know she did not quote God correctly? Well, let's go back to chapter 2 and let's see what God said. Look at verse number 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now, why is this an issue? I would tell you this. It's an issue that Eve did not quote God correctly because if we don't know God's word, 
it's because we either haven't invested the time or the effort to know it. It's not because God hasn't told us. God had told Adam what his plan was. Now, I think it's interesting also to note God spoke to Adam when he gave this command. If you go back and you look at the order of things, God told Adam what to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before he made Eve. So why didn't Eve know what God said? Or why did she not quote it correctly? Well, perhaps Adam didn't pass it down like he should have. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, when you even think of that idea of of making a disciple. Jesus says in the Great Commission to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. God had only given Adam one thing to teach or one thing to do that God had said, and he didn't pass that down well. Now, without making a huge giant point over this, I think we could say, though, even in our own culture and in our own day and age, when we don't pass down the truth well to the next generation, things don't work out very well, do they? When we don't take what God has taught us and teach others also, finding faithful men to teach them as well, things don't work out very well. Now, we don't know exactly what God had said to Eve, but we know that God had said to Adam what to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they were not to eat of it, but God did not say that they couldn't touch it. And that's what Eve says here when she's speaking to the serpent. You see, when we don't know God's word correctly, it opens us up to error, right? Because we might trust in something incorrectly. We might believe something to be true that's not really true. We might be putting our energy and our effort into doing something, thinking we're doing the right thing when in fact we're doing the wrong thing because we don't really know what God has said. Notice then in verse number 4. He says, And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So now Satan tells Eve that God is holding back something good from Eve. First he questions the word of God, then he questions the character of God. You see that? He questions, did God really say this? And then she ends up in a little bit of error because she doesn't really know or doesn't quote correctly for some reason what God had said. Then Satan asks another question, this time saying, don't you know or God knows that when you eat of this, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He's questioning the character of God. He's telling Eve, God is trying to hold out on you. God is keeping good things from you. You see that there? For verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Corruption is taking place because the word of God is being questioned. The character of God is being questioned. But notice then Eve's response to this. Eve trusted her own sight more than what God had said. See, Satan questions the character of God. Anytime we question the character of God, that's always a lie. Because God's character, he's always good. He's always faithful. He's always trustworthy. He never breaks a promise. Satan questions that. And so because God's character has been questioned because God's word has been questioned and Eve has not responded well to this. 
Now, instead of trusting in God, she begins, notice in the next verse, to trust in her own senses, in her own ability to decipher or to understand what's going on about the situation. It, no longer is she trusting in what God has said. Now she's trusting in what she's able to see, what she's able to feel, and how she's able to experience the situation. You see it in verse number 6? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw with her eyes, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. It was desirable. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. She saw that it was good for food. Well, did it taste good? Probably did. That's true. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Also true. She saw that it was desired to make one wise. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Also true. But what was the problem? I would say it this way. Just because something is desirable doesn't make it something that I should do. God is my authority, not my opinion. We say, well, it looks good. It tastes good. It's going to make me wise. It has all these benefits. But all of a sudden, do you see what's happened? Instead of trusting in God's word, she's moved over and now her foundation is on man's word. See the difference? Because now it's not what God has said. It's now her own opinion about the situation. That's where corruption always takes place, even in our own hearts and lives. When God's word is questioned, when God's character is questioned, we end up, instead of trusting what God has said, we start trusting in how we think or we feel or what our experience is. That's a problem with our foundation because we've all of a sudden shifted and we're no longer building ourselves on God's word. We're now building ourselves on our own word or some other person's word. So we have this sin. Notice it doesn't just stop with the woman. This was not just a, a, a problem with Eve. Adam was right in there as well. Because it finishes verse number 6. She did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. We don't know what was going on exactly how this conversation is arranged. Like was Eve just by herself one day out in the garden and the serpent came up and then she had to go somewhere else in the garden and find her? This doesn't seem to be indicated in the text. Rather, it seems as though Adam's very close by. Now, he may not have heard all of the conversation. We can't say that because we don't know that. But it says she gave to her husband with her and he did eat. Seems as though he was very nearby, that he shared this with her. You see, this was a sin of mankind. This was not just a problem with the woman. This was a problem with Adam. They both sinned. They both went against God's clear command. So after sin, what came next? 1 verse 7, we, 7 through 10, we can see their shame. Look at verse number 7. It says, And the eyes of, both, of them both were opened. And they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they 
heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now if you look back, just a few verses prior to this, at the end of chapter 2, it says they were naked, but they were unashamed. Now he's naked and he's hiding himself. What was the change? Corruption. Sin is what brought their shame. There was no shame when there was no sin because they were innocent and honest and open and right with God. The same is true for us today. It's sin that brings shame in our hearts. It's sin that causes us to feel ashamed and want to hide ourselves from God rather than to be able to have an open and honest relationship with God. You see, when they committed the sin, they gained something that separated them from God. It says here that their eyes were open, they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. All of a sudden, because they had gone against God, now all of a sudden they realize they're ashamed. Look, we have a problem. It wasn't a problem before because they were in intimate, close harmony and relationship with God. Now they have a problem because now I'm ashamed of the way that I am. They disobeyed their Creator. Now again, everything looked good to Eve. It, it, it was desirable. It was something that she wanted to have. But it was clearly against what God had commanded. It's not always ours to know why God has us do certain things. It's not always ours to be able to understand everything that He says. But it's very simply this. We are to obey God's Word. After they disobeyed, because of their shame, they hid from the presence of the Lord. Their sin separated themselves from God. But notice, God came looking for them. Even in spite of their sin and their corruption, their shame, God came looking for them. God, who knows everything, I think He knew that they had sinned. I know He knew that they had done wrong. God knew exactly where they were hiding. Because you can't hide from God. But God came looking for them anyway. And he called out to them. Not because he didn't know where they were, but rather so that they would have to admit where they were. Lord, we hid ourselves from you because we were ashamed. You see, while we see very sad, very sad things here with this corruption, this sin... I think there's also a wonderful side to this because we immediately see God demonstrating His love for His creation. God's coming and He's looking for them. Where are you? God knew where they were, but He wanted them to have to admit where they were. So the problem with many who find themselves in corruption, because all of us are born in sin, right? It's hard to sometimes admit that we have a problem. Dealing with sin means we first have to admit that we're sinners. Because you can't be saved from something that you're not first lost from. Adam and Eve had to admit that they were lost. We hid ourselves. They were afraid. 
No, God doesn't give fear. Why were they afraid? Because of sin. God doesn't give the spirit of fear, power, love, sound mind. We know that scripture. So then after this shame, so we had sin, shame. Notice what happens next, though, because now they begin to play the blame game a bit. The responsibility. Who was responsible for this sin? Because that's another challenge when it comes to corruption. Kind of like at our house. Who left the milk on the table so that it went rotten, right? It's amazing. Nobody left the milk on the table, and yet there it sits. Maybe your house doesn't work like that. But that seems to take place in ours from time to time. And so then the conversation happens. Well, who got the milk out? Well, I did. But then my sibling needed to use it for their cereal, so I left it for them. Okay. And they should have put it away. Okay, sibling number two, why did you leave the milk out? Well, then sibling number three came out. And pretty soon, it's the four-year-old's fault. You know, it just doesn't matter. Caden, it's going to be his fault. He can't help it. And he's looking at it like, I just came to the table and I asked my big sibling to pour the milk and then they finished eating and left the table and there sat the milk. So it's Caden's fault, right? But isn't that the way a lot of us function too? Like, it's hard to take ownership of our own sin. And it was hard for Adam and Eve to take responsibility for their sin as well. Look at verses 11 through 13. And he said, this is God speaking, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, oh, I love this manly response of Adam here. He was really taking responsibility for his actions. Oh, man. Too often we end up living like Adam, don't we? Adam, the woman that thou gavest me. Eve left the milk out, <laughs> right? She gave me of the tree and I did eat. It was Eve's fault. Adam blamed Eve. You know, it's interesting to me. First of all, Eve doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't know what God had said to Adam. And now Adam blames Eve for the problem. Even though he's the one that God told what to do with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now when he, instead of taking responsibility for it, blames his wife, what does she do? She follows in his footsteps and blames the serpent. Isn't it interesting? It, you're starting to see a pattern develop here. Yes, Eve did wrong, but Adam... He had some big problems, didn't he? Adam was living for himself. Adam wasn't willing to take responsibility. Adam didn't do what he should have been doing. And the sin of Adam brought all the human race into corruption. The Bible says over in the New Testament, for as in Adam, all die. So Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. So whose fault was it anyway? Who sinned? Yeah, that's what it says in verse 13. The woman, what God says to her, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Again, Eve was created after Adam, still on the sixth day. 
God had given the command to Adam. Eve didn't know it or didn't remember it well. But I would tell you she was still responsible for the truth that she knew. She still disobeyed. There's an interesting passage of Scripture over in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.14, which says this, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. So Eve was deceived. Satan tricked her. But Satan didn't trick Adam. Now, that's not a feather in Adam's cap. <laughs> Adam made a willful choice to disobey God. So there's responsibility. Who was responsible? Adam was responsible. Eve was also responsible. They sinned against God. So then the next step is we see the punishment, verses 14 through 19. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verses 14 and 15, we read about the punishment of the serpent. Right? He was going to have to go on his belly. He's going to have to eat dust. Of course, that always brings up the conversation. What did the serpent look like before all of this took place? Did he have legs? Did he walk around? Did he stand up? Well, we don't know all those things for certain, but it's definitely interesting to think about because if God was punishing him to walk or go on his belly, it must have been that he was perhaps somehow upright. There have been different studies on that and different people have talked about that question. Honestly, that's not exceedingly important to the conversation at hand. Sometimes, while there are many interesting things like that in Scripture to think about, I would just encourage you to really focus on truth and obedience and walking with God and the gospel and those things that are of supreme importance and not get too caught up arguing about the, the things about whether or not Adam had a belly button or, you know, whether the serpent was standing up and those things. I mean, I'm sure he either had one or he didn't have one, right? I mean, we know it's one or the other. But those things can often serve to... Uh, waste our time and energy. So there was a punishment to the serpent. We're going to get back to that a little bit more later. Notice in verse 16, there's also a punishment for the woman. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So we see this punishment for the woman as sorrow and childbearing, and that the woman would be ruled by her husband. That she would have a desire towards him, like she would want to be in charge, but that her husband would rule over her. It's interesting. These are results of sin. Next week, we're going to get into this even more like, so because of sin, how's it all played out then and now? now what are some of the things that have followed on because of this original sin that we read about here of Adam and Eve? We also then see in verses 17 through 19 the punishment for the man. Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree. Let me pause there. Should we not listen to our wives? Is that what this is saying? No. 
But Adam listened to his wife as opposed to listening to his God. So men, this is not an excuse to walk around saying, well, I don't have to listen to you. Adam listened to his wife and see where it got him. No, don't strut around like that. You're, you're wrong if you act like that. Okay? If you're married, you're one flesh. That's a wonderful thing. And you should listen to your wife and you should talk to your wife. But Adam's problem here was he listened to his wife and did not listen to God. And I think it's a very important point that it doesn't matter who it is, if it's not God, we need to make sure we put God first and listen to them first, no matter what human relationship we may have with them. And that's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? Because, well, this person's really close to me, or you know, I really value their input, their relationship. Make sure what you do comes from God. Don't do it because the preacher tells you to do it. Don't do it because the close family member tells you to do it. Do it because God says to do it. So Adam here, he listened to the voice of his wife as opposed to listening to God. And he ate of the tree, God says, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. It's very simple. God says, Don't eat of this. Thou shalt not eat of it. But he did it anyway. So what did God say? Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Adam obeyed his wife and not God, or he listened to his wife as opposed to listening to God. And because of this... Because of his disobedience to God, the ground would be cursed. There'd be thorns, thistles. It'd be hard to grow crops. He would eventually return back to the dust that he came from. So what? We've seen their sin. Because of their sin, great shame. Because of the shame, then they argued about whose responsibility it was. God clearly cut through that quickly and got to the punishment. But it didn't stop there with God. And this is part of the beginning of the narrative that carries on throughout the rest of the scripture of the Bible because I believe in verses 20 through 24, and we'll also go back and reference one other verse, we see God's grace at work. I mean, think of it. God's made two people and gave them one command and they broke it. Again, as we talked about this morning, I would tell you this. We serve a righteous, holy, just God, but He doesn't bring about punitive punishment on people just because He can. When God punishes people, it's always for a purpose, it's always for a reason, and it's never excessive just because He likes beating up on people. Even though when you look at the punishments for Adam and Eve, they look like pretty harsh things. Pain and childbearing, that's a big thing that's affected Billions of people for generations. The ground being cursed, that's a big problem. That's an awful curse that they're going to live with for all this time. That he was going to go back to the dust, that he would die and go back to the dust that he came from. These are bad things. And yet I would say even in God's punishments, he has a purpose because God is going to show grace to Adam and Eve and God by... Um, by association in that sense, or carrying it forward, God shows grace to us as well. Look at verse 20. It says this, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. 
And Adam all, unto Adam also and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them? Right here we see God's grace already on display. Do you know this is the very first time in all of history that we have recorded that something died? And he made these coats of skin. Now, there had been no death up to this point. Why was God willing to kill some of his creation for Adam and Eve? He shows the value that he placed on Adam and Eve. They were created in his image as opposed to the rest of creation. I mean, because whatever those animals were that died, they hadn't sinned. Hmm. Can you think of one other much, much later on in the historical biblical timeline of one who died for you and for me who had never sinned? name was Jesus. These animals did nothing wrong. Why did they have to die so that Adam and Eve could have coats made out of skins? I believe God's showing His grace to His people. He's showing the value that He placed on Adam and Eve over the entire rest of His creation. Because they're the ones that had sinned. Why didn't they just die right then? It's because God had a special plan and a special relationship with mankind that he doesn't have with any other part of his creation. That's a really wonderful thing to think about. So God makes clothing for them. I would also tell just a, uh, another application. This is why we wear clothes, because God made clothes for Adam and Eve. So we still wear clothes because they were clothed. Well, why do we, do, why do we have to do that? Why? Because we're not innocent any longer. Clothing was first a gift to us by God. It was a covering for their nakedness to cover them up so they wouldn't have to be ashamed when they would go around people, other people. And I believe it pictures then the future covering of Jesus Christ that He gives to us. This is why we should be covered up. That's why we ultimately would believe in modesty because I don't want to have people's minds and hearts focused on my flesh. I want to point people to my Jesus that can forgive them of their sins. That's kind of neat, I think, because it gives a whole bigger, greater purpose for getting up and putting on what you wear every day because we're here to point people to the Lord, not to ourselves. The Bible has a lot more to say about what we wear and all those things later on, but you can see the beginning of that right here in Genesis chapter 3. So God made them clothing Notice what the next thing God did says in verse number 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. You say, how's this grace? God kicked them out of the garden. Well, why did he do it? God had a purpose. He's not being mean. He's not saying, well, you didn't take care of this, so get out of my garden. No, God said, they've now eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They sinned. They did the one thing I told them not to do. So if they eat of the tree of life, they'll now be confirmed in their sin. It was better for them to be out of the Garden of Eden, out of that beautiful place that God had created so that they could ultimately one day come back into a relationship with God and spend an eternity with Him. In other words, it's as if God is saying here, 
it would be better for you not to live in Eden so that you can spend an eternity in heaven. Ever thought about it like that? God put them out of the garden because if they had stayed in the garden, they would have eaten of the tree of life and therefore they wouldn't have been able to spend an eternity in heaven. They would have been confirmed in their sin apart from God. This is God showing His grace to His people. Yes, there's punishment, but God's punishment is always done with the idea of grace behind it. So He kicks them out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life. We even see that He kept them from coming back in. Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. We're not going to let you back into this. I would just challenge you with this thought. When it feels like God is keeping you from something that you think would be really good to have, trust God's plan that it's better than yours. Don't try to get things that God hasn't let you have. God has it for a reason. But we can go back to verse 15 and see one more wonderful example. I think the greatest example of all of God's grace. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, if you read theology books, is referred to as the proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first, evangelium, talking about the gospel. And here in verse 15, we have... The beginnings of the gospel being explained for us today. It says this, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between the serpent and the woman. And he continues on, And between thy seed and her seed. Who was the seed of the woman? Ultimately, it would be Jesus. We, we understand this better because we know the rest of the story, right? But looking back, we can then see in this verse the beginnings of this being explained. And it says there, And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You say, well, how do we know this ties to Jesus? Well, much, much, much later on. It's referred to by the prophets. It's then referred to by Jesus when he talks about how that Satan would bruise his heel. And did he do that? Yes, on the cross. But Jesus bruised the head of the serpent, of Satan. He won the victory, ultimately. Did the devil hurt Jesus? In a sense, yes, physically, right? He did. Killed him. But Jesus rose again the third day, bringing victory over sin and over death. God made a way. The corruption of mankind was awful. Sin had horrible effects. You can go into chapter 4 and you just begin to see those effects happen and one right after another we see of the murder of Abel by Cain. Adam and Eve's first two children, one kills the other. How awful. Corruption is complete. Corruption is quick. Corruption doesn't take much time at all. That's why it's so important we understand the depths of our sin, the depths of our struggle, and the need of our Savior. There's no saying, well, it's just a little sin, and that's okay. It's not too bad. That can't hurt anything. When it comes back to our biblical foundations, based on the foundation of God's Word, 
We must understand. And before we can then share the gospel with anybody else, we have to help them understand that they are sinners. They've done wrong. We've all done wrong, and that sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve, because of their sin, hid from God. They were ashamed. It brought separation. God then removed them from the garden. Separation. But God did then, working in their lives and working in the situations around them, work to restore them back to himself through the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who would come, through his love that he demonstrated to them, and then to their descendants for generation after generation after generation, all the way until Jesus came to die on the cross for their sin, and he's still demonstrating his love and his grace for his creation of mankind to this day. And he has a plan. One day we'll spend an eternity in heaven with him if we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Foundations. What are they and why do they matter? Well, it matters what we build our lives on. It matters what we build our choices on. And I would tell you the only thing that you can truly build on and really find lasting hope and fulfillment is to build on the Word of God. Origins, where do we come from? Why does it matter? Well, we come from God, and God gave us a purpose, and so we ought to be living for Him to follow what He wants us to do. But then corruption, sin. What caused all the problems with creation? It was the sin. It was the choice to disobey God's clear command. But God made a way to bring about redemption. Next week, as we continue on in this study, I want us to look a little bit further. We're going to look into, we're not going to read all the verses. I'm going to jump around a bit as we go into chapter 4, 5, and 6, as we see the effects of sin then and now. So as you, if you want to read ahead, Look ahead at those things. We're going to see God's plan. So we had creation and then corruption. We're going to see the sin carry on and then we're going to get to catastrophe, you know, as the flood comes. And we'll see more about that next week. These things are important things. Maybe not new things for some of you, but important things, I think, for all of us to reconsider and reevaluate and to be reconnected to and challenged about our biblical foundations so that we can be faithful to live for the Lord in a very difficult, sinful place that we live in today. And I would encourage you, as you go through this week, practically, how can we stay on the foundation? Be in God's Word. Spend time in it. I know you're busy. I'm busy too. I mean, I can even get busy at church and not spend time in God's Word like I need to. We need to be in God's Word. Spend time in prayer. Encourage one another in the Word. As you're meeting with others to disciple them, or as you're meeting with somebody else and sharing the gospel with others and going out to evangelize, as you're with your families, as you're by yourself, no matter what it is, spend time with the Lord and spend time talking with Him. Make sure as you go through your day-to-day life that you're taking what you're experiencing and the choices that you're having to make and you're filtering them through God's Word. Good example, we have an election this week, right? I went out on Friday and voted. My wife and I spent some time researching things and before we went to vote because we wanted to make sure the best we knew how, we were trying to filter our choices through the truth of God's Word. 
Because you can build that foundation on a lot of different things too. There's a lot of man's word out there when it comes to who you should vote for. We pulled into the parking lot of the polling place and people were knocking on our windows and pushing flyers through the door. Today we stopped and got lunch on the way home from church and there were three or four people in their shirts from their local, uh, supporting their local politician. They were out knocking doors this afternoon. Well, Brad would be as excited if uh, people got as excited uh, telling folks about Jesus as they did to tell them about their political candidate, right? People are excited about it. People are energetic about it. And I would tell you, it does matter. So as you think about what you're going to vote about, what does God say? What matters? As you deal with business decisions, as you deal with neighbors and family members, whatever it is, how am I basing what I'm doing on the foundation of God's Word? I don't know about you, but for me, I can find myself sort of coasting in my Christianity at times, where I just sort of, well, I kind of know what's right. I, I grew up in church. I grew up around this, and I just kind of go along and float along, and then all of a sudden I realize, I think maybe I missed a turn somewhere along the way. I think maybe I missed something that I should have been doing, and that's why we always have to be back firmly grounded on the Word of God encourage you to do that as you go through this week. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. I pray that you'd use these thoughts to challenge our hearts, that we would be faithful to you. Lord, we do live in a wicked world. Lord, we're all sinners. Pray that you'd help us to realize the severity of that truth and our need of a Savior for salvation and then our need of a Savior to walk faithfully in obedience to you every day. Help us to be founded on the Word of God, on the only sure foundation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.